0: God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for our time in worship here and at our Cactus Campus, Mountain Valley, the venue and chapel. We thank you for that we can lift our voices to you, focus our sights upon you, and humble our hearts before you. And God, in many ways we do this in preparation for what we're going to do right now, and that is to open up your book, your word to us, and allow the words of Jesus to guide us in our daily lives. So God is. Christians have done for 2,000 years. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bless our time, illumine this time uh, by your light and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. Amen. So we're in a series right now on what it takes to be a true follower of Jesus, not just a believer in Jesus, but somebody who actually uh, takes up his cross and follows Jesus. And we're doing it right. We're learning what it takes from Jesus himself. We're looking at the Gospel of John, uh, specifically chapters 7 through 11, and we're allowing Jesus to show us no less than 10 traits that are needed if we are going to become a follower of him. And so far, we've noticed the first two traits uh, in this series, that of revelation and thirst. Simply put, we learned in week one that we need to see Jesus as the revelation of God to us, the primary vehicle of how God wants to communicate his love, truth, and grace to us. And then we noticed last week the second trait, and that, that is, we called it, thirst Jesus said that if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and I will give him living water flowing from his innermost being. And so we've noted that if you're not thirsty for the revelation of God, you're probably not going to be a very good follower. But conversely, if you are thirsty, and many of you are, and you point and you look to the revelation of God Jesus, that you're going to start to become a faithful follower of his. And today we come to the third trait that we need in order to follow Jesus in a way that matters. And we're going to call it clarity, clarity. Uh, So let's read about it in our look at John 7 through 11. This week, we're going to be looking at John chapter 7, verses 40 to 52. And let me just give you the context before uh, we read the passage. Jesus is still in Jerusalem, where you might remember he is attending the greatest feast of the Jewish year, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and both the crowds as well as the religious leaders are trying hard to make sense of who he is and what he is up to. And so here is what happens next. Let's stand, all of us, Cactus, Mountain Valley, Chapel and Venue, let's all stand for the reading of the Gospel, John 7, verses 40 to 52. Follow along as I read this for us. It says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? so a division occurred in the crowd because of him, Jesus. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Then Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus before, being one of the Pharisees, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And you may be seated, as we've now read the gospel reading for this morning. Uh, So let's dive right into the main point of this account here. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things going on here, guys. And and, and there's something that the crowds and the religious elite and everybody in this scene is wrestling with. And I'm going to suggest to you it has to do with this idea of clarity. So here's our main point, and that is that in order to follow Jesus, it's really important to be clear on who it is you're following, (laughs) And what I mean by that is in order to follow Jesus, you need to be clear on who precisely this Jesus is that you are following. So track what's happening in this scene that we just read about here as they were listening to Jesus teach in the temple area. Again, claiming to be the revelation from God and claiming to be the one who can quench all of our spiritual thirst it then says in verse 43 that there is a division among those who were listening to Jesus I'm going to suggest to you later that this division here is the pivot point for this entire scene a division some thought that Jesus was an Old Testament prophet and specifically it says the prophet what's that about Well, this is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 in the Old Testament where Moses, you guys remember him, predicted that someday God would raise up a prophet just like Moses himself, one who the people should listen to just like they did Moses. And and so people thought in Jesus's day, even though it was a couple thousand years later, that that maybe Jesus was this Moses-like prophet predicted to come but then others said nah he's the christ the messiah the long-awaited deliverer predicted way back in the days of king david in second samuel chapter 7 a final king sitting on the throne of david who would lead israel back to the glory days and pure heavenly rule and peace in israel that's what some thought jesus was going to do and who he was Uh, But then still others said, nah, he's not the prophet, he's not the Christ, he's a Galilean holy man. And what you need to know is that that's not a compliment back then. It'd be like some of you calling me a backwoods preacher or something like that. I wouldn't take that as necessarily a compliment. See, Galilee was the backwoods, Galilee was way up north, Galilee was seen by most Jews as a second-class citizen sort of place. And so when they said that Jesus was a Galilean, that's not a compliment, they're just saying he's a Galilean holy man, a preacher from the backwoods, and we got a lot of those. And finally, the religious leaders argued that he was none of the above, he was just a man, and a phony one at that, someone to be caught, tried, and shut up for good. And simply notice, folks, here's what I need you to see, all sorts of opinions going on in the scene on who Jesus was and what he was about. And though they were very diverse opinions and hence the division, each one of these people who had these opinions had one thing in common with each other, and that is that they each lacked clarity on who Jesus really was. They weren't clear, at the very least. They were hazy as to his precise identity. They were hazy as to why he was at the feast, why he was in Jerusalem, why he was on planet earth in the first place. Don't miss this. A division here points to a total lack of clarity, clarity as we're going to see in just a minute here that you and I desperately need if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus, but before we get to that, let me just pause for a few minutes and add something that maybe some of you have already picked up on, and that is simply that times never change, amen? Times never change. And My simple point is they lack clarity back then, and you and I live in a world today, and I'm even going to suggest in certain church circles we live in a, in a world today, that, that likewise lacks clarity on who Jesus really is. And so honestly, I see this all the time. I mean, especially around Christmas and Easter, you look close in our culture today, there is a plethora of scholarly articles and books, PBS specials, History Channel documentaries, op-ed pieces in the New York Times, even barroom conversations that are all trying to figure out who Jesus is. You ever notice that about our culture? And when you listen close, because I watch the History Channel documentaries, and I read the op-ed pieces, and I read the scholarly books, and it's amazing. It's like none of them read John 7, because if they did, they'd be embarrassed, because they're following the script perfectly. I mean, there are people today that still argue 2,000 years later that Jesus was just a prophet, and a darn good one at that. Uh, Marcus Borg, who died last year, was probably one of the biggest proponents of this. He was a professor of religion at Oregon State University, Oxford-trained, but very liberal in his outlook on a lot of things, especially religion. And he was really into Jesus, but he he argued that Jesus fit into kind of four categories. You ready for this? He says, Jesus was a great spirit person. He, He was a subversive sage, meaning a wisdom giver. He was a social prophet, and he was a movement founder. In all of his books, that's what he writes about Jesus. And what's conspicuously absent is his books are the two terms the Bible uses, Lord and Savior. I mean, again, it's just right in the script of John 7 in 21st century language. He's the prophet. And then you're going to find others that say, nah, he's not the prophet. He's kind of like a good backwards Backwoods Preacher. I mean, there's websites today you can go to. You can go to this one, www.earlychristianwritings.com. www.earlychristianwritings.com, all one word. I went there this week, and they got tons of theories on who Jesus was, from a Hellenistic hero, meaning a Greek world hero, to a revolutionary in the vein of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. And so again, you and I live in a world today in which theories abound about who Jesus is. I just simply need you to see, times never change. They were unclear back then. We have many people that are unclear today on who this guy Jesus was. And yet what compounds us even more, and this is what you and I need to focus on for a second right now, is that you then even have people inside the church who are not all that clear On exactly who Jesus is. And that's what you and I need to wrestle with right now. I I, want to be careful. I don't want to be too hard on some of us. But, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been a pastor for a long time. And, you know, I love to ask people, especially church people, about Jesus. I love to meet with them and say, tell me about your walk with the Lord, and what's it like, and how you are doing spiritually, and all of that. And more often than not, uh, I will have somebody describe their relationship with Jesus, not using maybe these words, but with this kind of flavor. They'll say, man, pastor, I'm doing great. Jesus is my cosmic buddy who helps me when I need him. <laughs> Honestly, that's what I hear. I, I, I mean, he's a cool dude. He, he's my brother. He, he's really great. What, oh, that's right. He's my constant companion. I mean, I hear phrases like that. And basically the sum total of their clarity on Jesus is this cosmic buddy who helps me when I need him. And again, this is, it is true. This is where it gets tricky. Thank you for saying that. This is actually in my notes. This is where it gets tricky. Because if I asked you, is it true that Jesus is our friend, what's the answer to that? Yes or No. Absolutely, John 15, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends. So he is our friend. If I asked you, does Jesus, as our friend, help us in our time of need, what's the answer to that? Absolutely. Hebrews 4, chapter 16, we come to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and help in our time of need. Those things are very true. But listen, in order to be very clear, on who it is we are following, we need to go a lot further than this in our understanding of who Jesus is. If we stop at him being a cosmic buddy who helps us in our time of need, that's not clear enough. And it's not deep enough. Listen, church, the, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was God come in the flesh. Just pause on that a second there. The Holy eternal God of the universe inhabiting the body of a man in Jesus. At the very least, there is a rich complexity in this profound union that's going to take us a lifetime to be increasingly clearer on. Amen? It is. Right, let me give you an example of, of some things in the Bible that you and I need to factor in our, in our understanding of Jesus and our clarity of Jesus that might take us beyond this cosmic buddy who helps us in our time of need that type of understanding. Look at Colossians 1, verses 13 to 20, and tell me if this doesn't challenge you in your clarity of Jesus. It says, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, meaning Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So far, so good. Now watch this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. we don't have time to obviously go into all that's here today. But let me just simply say this. I don't know. It sounds to me like Jesus is a lot more than a cosmic buddy who helps us in our time of need. Amen? Amen? Amen. I mean, he is. I I mean, you guys got to see this. Theologians have been plumbing the depths of this stuff for 2,000 years. Volumes have been written just on these two or three paragraphs alone that Jesus was preexistent, the fullness of God dwelling upon him, that there's a union between God and man in Jesus, that he's the agent of all creation. Let that one blow you away, that in him all things hold together and that even his atonement didn't just affect earth, but all the heavenly realms. What does all of that mean? I mean, you and I will spend a lifetime plumbing the depths on that. of that. And all I'm arguing is, is that a good follower strives for clarity. When it comes to things like the precise nature of Jesus, this never-before-seen union of God and man, we strive for clarity on where he came from, existing before all creation as God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. We strive for clarity on what he came to do, atone for our sins by being our sin-bearer. And we strive for clarity on all of his teachings, which, by the way, require absolute submission if we're gonna follow him. Let me show you something so cool. St. Jerome once said it this way, back in the what, 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 fourth, fifth century. St. Jerome said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever reaching the bottom. Doesn't that encourage you? <laughs> it does me, because I've been a Christian now for 35 years and I started out as a babe, just swimming in the shallow end with no fear of drowning. I think I told you guys this. When I got saved, I was so on fire for, for Jesus, but I didn't know anything about him. I, I honestly, when I first got, became a Christian, I assumed Jesus wrote the whole Bible. I mean, that's what a lot of people probably think. Some of you go, he didn't. No, we gotta help you with that. He didn't. <laughs> but I thought that, and it just makes sense. Jesus is the holy man, he's the savior. Of course, he wrote the holy book. But I started reading, and I'm like, who's Matthew, who's Mark, who's Luke, who's Paul? I mean, I, I didn't, who's, what's the Old Testament? What's the New Testament? Uh, but over time, I started to wade into deeper waters in my understanding of Jesus. And some of you are going, well, of course, you're a pastor. No, 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 don't don't, don't take that out. I did that way before I decided to be a pastor. When I was in college, just learning to read and learning to appreciate academic things and intellectual things, I, I started to immerse myself in the profundity and the depth of my understanding of Jesus. And as I've grown deeper in my understanding, watch this, I have developed increasing clarity on who the Savior is that I call my Lord. And the wonderful thing about this journey is precisely that, gang, that at least this side of heaven, it's never ceasing, it's always increasing, and it's increasing in clarity. An understanding of the Jesus you serve. You won't have all your questions answered. That will wait till heaven. But you can get more and more clarity and what's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I got a wonderful, wonderful email this week from a gal who we asked uh, permission to read anonymously a portion of this. I, it's one of these emails that just makes my week. It balances out some of the other emails you guys send me. And I, I, I really did like this email. <laughs> And this gal says this, you'll get it as I read it. She says, Pastor Jamie, thank you for taking time to read my email. By the way, I read every email that comes into my office, everyone. I can't answer every one of them personally, but but I read them, and then I have a pastoral assistant that helps me in answering them, but I read everyone. She says, I wanted to say to you that your series on the fruits of the Spirit totally rocked my world and made me fall absolutely in love with Jesus. I'm 26 years old and practically grew up in the church, but it was always presented to me as don't do this, don't do that, don't think about this, and oh, definitely don't do that. She says, I remember thinking to myself, wow, God really doesn't want me to have any fun, and he just wants me to follow all these rules. As a result of this, I've been a lukewarm Christian my whole life until a couple of months ago when my friends invited me to Scottsdale Bible. I knew God was starting to do something in my heart because I had been craving something more Last week, we called that thirst. And I knew that being a Christian had to be more than just saving a verse to save my soul. She goes on to talk about her experience here. And then she says this. She says, I realized that it's not about a bunch of rules, but it's about totally and completely falling in love with Jesus. And those rules aren't rules at all, but things I want to obey and do because I love him. At 26, she wisely asks this. She said, we would go to the ends of the earth for the people we love, wouldn't we? For some reason, I never saw Jesus that way until just recently. I read this and I thought, this young gal is going from legalism to grace and relationship She's not jettisoning the rules she's just saying i'm approaching them differently now and she's falling in love with jesus watch this as she gets clarity on who he really is and it's taken her from lukewarm christianity to being on fire once again and gang that's the way it's supposed to work and so i would ask you is this the journey that you were on is it the journey that you're on? Is it a journey of increasing clarity on who Jesus is to the point that you have aha moments, defining moments, as you go along in increasing your following of him? Because you see, there is an inherent danger if you and I don't get clarity. And it's a principle, you're gonna love this, that, I, that most of us have already learned in life, we give credence to this, we even live by it, but we've never really applied it in light of Jesus. And we're gonna do this here today. Here's the principle, it's your take home point today. And again, every one of you agree with this because you live this, and that is that when we lack clarity in our lives, we sacrifice decisiveness in action. All of you show by your life that you agree with this, that when you lack clarity in any area of life, So at work or with your spouse or with your parenting, your kids or in your hobbies, whatever might be, if you lack clarity, you audit that experience, you will sacrifice decisiveness and action because lack of clarity usually slows us down. It stops us. We go, hmm, not really clear on this right now. (laughs) And so we don't know which way to go. And hence, we sort of stop at the fork in the road, right? I mean, that's how most of us function. And some of you go, no, I don't do that, I just move straight on. Well, and that's why you're a bonehead, because the reality is, <laughs> is that for those of us who don't pause when we're unclear and, and, and allow ourselves to think about what we're trying to do and figure it out, we then go headlong into the wrong path. And some of us have done that as well. And we've again learned that when we lack clarity, we sacrifice decisiveness and action. It's fascinating. I would submit to you that's exactly what's going on in this account before us here today. I mentioned to you earlier that verse 43 is the pivot point in this passage. Let's look at it again, verse 43 here. It says, so a division occurred in the crowd because of Jesus. A a division. Fascinating word in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. It's the Greek word schisma, where we get our English word schism from. And a schism is a very strong word for simply tearing something down the middle, separating something apart. You once had something whole, now it's two or three different parts. And that's what was happening here. A division was occurring. But what's even more fascinating is that in the verses before verse 43, verses 40 40 to 42, uh, the division is all about who Jesus was, and they were absolutely indecisive, about who he was and then the verses after verse 43 again it's the pivot point in this passage are all about their lack of action because they couldn't decide who Jesus was so on both sides of this division you have indecisiveness and then inaction all because of a lack of clarity on Jesus We've already seen the indecisiveness, right? They're going, well, so I think he's a prophet. I think he's Christ. I think he's a backwoods preacher. I think he's just a man. They, they couldn't decide on who he was. They couldn't land the plane. But like a bunch of deer stuck in the headlights, they were frozen and they're deciding on who Jesus was. And they couldn't make a choice. They couldn't make a decision. But then it's fascinating after John says, now there's a division going on here. Again, I find humor in the Bible. I think it's kind of funny what happens next in verses 44 to 52 because the religious elite and even some in the crowd want to arrest Jesus and seize him. But it says the officers, which means the temple guards, couldn't bring themselves to do it. And when asked why, they say, never has a guy spoken like this. We're not going to touch this dude. And the religious elite are ticked. They claim that not one of them believes in Jesus. And this is where it becomes funny. All of a sudden, Nicodemus goes, well, that, that's not technically true. <laughs> uh, and Nicodemus is so shrewd. Did you pick up language? He, he doesn't say, hey, I believe in him, like some of you would do and get yourself killed. He says, he says you know, our, our law says that we really shouldn't judge until you hear what someone has to say which is his tactful way of saying, because he's gonna become a great follower of Jesus, his tactful way of saying, I I, I think there's more to this guy than you guys are giving credit to. And then you gotta love how this ends. These guys are so frustrated, they just insult Nicodemus. Did you catch it? They say, well, then you must be a Galilean too. And then they even say something more inane, and this is for those of you who, who love the Bible, and all of us should, it's amazing. They end by saying, you know, no prophet has ever come out of Galilee. Which, by the way, is not true. Jonah was from Galilee. And so if Nicodemus wanted to, he could have said, well, okay, now you're wrong on multiple levels. You're wrong about Jesus. You're wrong about Jonah. You know, but he didn't do any of that. It, just, it ends in this insane, comical way in which you guys need to see. No one's acting rightly. No one's doing anything. They're not arresting him, which they wanted to do. They're not following him, which he's calling them to do. They're they're the frozen chosen, (laughs) just just sort of doing nothing in that moment. And and that's the point, gang, is that when you and I lack clarity, again, in every area of life, but certainly with Jesus, we sacrifice on the altar the ability to make a decision about him and to even act in following him. That's why it's really important that you and I are clear on who it is we're following. He's not just a social prophet. He's not a wisdom sage. (laughs) He's not just some great Galilean holy man, though one could argue that he has aspects of all of that. He came along and said, I am Lord and I am Savior. Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and he fell down and worshiped him. He is the one who demands our absolute allegiance. Let's be clear on that. In each moment of each day, he wants us to live in eternal relationship with him as we trust him for our very lives. I know how some of you think, we got a few minutes left here, about 10 minutes, and you're thinking, well, what do I do with this? I mean, give me something to do. And you guys gotta know, I hate it when people ask me that. I really do. And part of the reason I hate it is because we live in such a pragmatic, user-friendly, give me three easy steps to deal with my depression kind of culture, in in which I sit there and go, well, you know what? The the richer things in life don't have easy answers, amen? They don't. This is why this series is going to be all about things like revelation and thirst and clarity. And and get this, any following that you have that's meaningful to your life is going to be hard won and hard fought. And that's the Christian life. It's not easy. But but in that vein, let me give you five things to do as we wrap this thing up. Five things that you can do. And these aren't on the screen here. They just this happened yesterday as I was putting the final touches on this message here. And I thought, you know, if I was in your shoes, if I was in your seat, what would I do to get more clarity on Jesus? Here are the five things. First, read the gospels. Read the gospels. And again, I know that sounds so simple, but I'm amazed at how many Christians do not know or immerse themselves in this book. And again, I'm amazed at how many Christians don't even know the simple but profound, amazing gospel stories. And again, I know you guys get mad at me when I make this joke before, but I stole it from James McDonald. It's actually a funny joke. The daily crouton is not enough, right? The daily bread, you know that little packet we hand out, the daily bread? James McDonald calls it the daily crouton. And, and, and I think there's some merit to that because the reality is is that reading one verse a day and then a nice little story and then put it in our back pocket is not gonna make you a deep and rich follower of Jesus. Having said that, I love the daily bread. It's a good crouton. I like croutons, I like salads. So I like the daily bread. So don't send me emails saying you don't like that joke. The reality is you need a lot more than that, amen? Right now, I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. You know what else I'm doing in my personal life that you guys don't know anything about, you don't see, you don't hear much about it? I wake up every day and I'm reading through the Gospels and I'm actually using a 19th century two-volume set written by a converted Jew It's called an informal commentary explaining the Gospels from a very Jewish perspective. And I'm doing that because I've read the Gospels so many times that I I can get dry even reading them, which I'm embarrassed to admit. And and I'll do anything to try to go deeper in my understanding of Jesus, even reading boring 20th century or 19th century books. I'll I'll do anything because I, I want freshness in the Gospels. How about you? Maybe the only thing some of you need to do here today as a next step in following Jesus is start with a chapter a day, every day. Don't miss it. Every day a chapter reading in the Gospels and just ask God to give you clarity. Second thing you can do is join a good Bible study or discussion group. Again, if your only understanding of Jesus comes in a vacuum and you never, ever, ever are in community with other people talking about these things, you will not. Become a deep and rich follower of Jesus, and I gotta know what some of you are saying. You're saying, "Well, I tried that Bible study group, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the people in it." Well, what do you do when that happens? Get you get another one. You're you're hot today. You get another one. You really do. <laughs> Honestly, guys, I've been in more groups than any of you ever will be, and I've left more groups than any of you ever will be. I do because I get with some people, and I go, well, "These people are at Dudsville. They're not where I'm at. I don't like this." I don't do that with the elders, said, but I do with other groups, and I, and, and, and I just find another group. I've been doing that for 35 years, but the point is I'm always going to have a group, amen? I'm always going to have people around me that are challenging me in my thinking, in my study. Third thing to do, and this is kind of collates with this, but it's not as formal, is ask people who seem to know Jesus curious questions about him. I love that. I was with the guy this week on the golf course. I don't golf all that often, but I, I did this week as Troy. Our worship pastor asked me if I would golf with him, and I really wanted to. And um, he, uh, he brought our, one of our drummers, Chad. And I love Chad. He's a young, on-fire believer. And Chad and I were paired together. And at one point, we were, we were talking, and, and he just got really honest with me and started asking me questions about Jesus and the security that we have in him. And, and it was really a, a rich time Uh, for he and I to to talk and so to to just challenge each other and um, at one point I I shared with him just some thoughts about eternal security and Jesus and how he'll never let us go and um, I think he was deeply moved and and he sent me a text later I'm trying to find it here right now I don't know where it went but anyways he sent me a text oh here it is And, and 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 he simply said you know hey thanks brother for the golf time today and I texted this back to him I said amen Glad you enjoyed it, myself as well. I said, don't ever forget, young man. He has saved you from the pit and the miry clay, and he has placed your feet on solid ground. And those he saves, he never lets go of. Larry Crabb once told me that the definition of sanctification is a God-obsessed life that learns to fight the battle well. Chad, you're in the battle, and you're in the fight. Keep God-obsessed and fight well. He sent me a text back, and here's my point. He said, wow, I need to hear stuff like that. I appreciate it. And then last night when I read this in the evening service last night, he was drumming last night. He sent me a text last night saying, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to read the text on a regular basis. (laughs) I'll have to send him some more because that one will get boring. (laughs) But the idea is, see, here's my point. I get texts like that all the time. How about you? Do you know why I get texts like that all the time? because I open myself up to people. I, I, I write people and I text them and I bear my soul with them. And, and obviously it's my close friend group, but, but I'm constantly putting myself out there and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, I need more clarity here, I need help here. And, and I dialogue with people who I feel have one up on me, either by age or maturity or knowledge, whatever it might be. And, and that's part of my sanctification. So we read the Gospels, we join a Bible study or a group, we ask people who seem to know Jesus curious questions. Fourth thing you can do, uh, listen to sermons and podcasts of trusted preachers. And the key, obviously, there is trusted preachers, right? I mean, people that you trust, people that have a track record of knowing Jesus. One of the, I, I really don't like Christian media. One of the things I love about Christian radio particularly is at least the guys on there right now, many of them, are, are really long-standing trusted individuals, Erwin Lutzer. David, Jeremiah, people like that. Probably not the most exciting people you'd ever want to be around. They don't strike me as fun junkies, but they know Jesus. And and, and they they know his word. And they teach it with clarity. And and I, as your pastor, listen to them on a regular basis because they feed my soul. And then a fifth thing you can do. With this one, we're done. And this should actually be the most important thing you do. It's going to sound so simple, but so few people do it. And it's this. Ask God to give you clarity. I, I gotta tell you, I, I do this almost weekly. <laughs> In fact, I do do it weekly, because many times I'll be studying for my sermon time and, and I'll be reading a portion of the text and I'll go, man, I don't get that. I don't get that. And then I'll read the commentators and I'll think they don't get that. And, I, and I'll sit there and go, I, 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 and then what do I do? I, I, I pause and I say, God, I don't get it. I don't get it, but you wrote it, so you do give me clarity. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't, because he hasn't promised all that. 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we know in part, then we shall see face to face. Like when your heart stops beating, you die and go to heaven, then you'll see face to face. For now, we know in part, but God does want us to know more than we do. And so our ace in the hole, when we lack clarity, is to ask him for clarity. And if he doesn't want you to know, then you won't know, but at least you'll accept it then because you asked him, right? And so the reality is, is that some of us don't have clarity because we've never asked God. We've never said to God, hey, I'm stuck on this one. I don't get it and I wanna get it. Help me understand it. Just do that this week and see what God might do for you. So there's lots of things we can do to get clarity. And when you get clarity, you'll be decisive and you'll be a better follower. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing teaching of Jesus here as he is in the temple courts here about ready. Next week we'll see this Lord to, um, to confront the woman caught in adultery. And so Father, I pray that as we uh, immerse ourselves in this idea of clarity when it comes to Jesus, I pray God, my simple prayer is that we would not be like the crowds or even the religious elite back then. That, Lord, we would not be ones who wonder, is he a prophet, is he the Messiah, is he a backwoods Galilean, is he just a man? God, may we shed all that stuff. And may we land smack dab in the middle of Lord and Savior, the agent of creation, the Lord of the universe. Come to this earth, as John the Baptist said so simply, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, may that be the Jesus that we know. May that be the Jesus we serve. And may you give us clarity as we follow him, in Jesus name, amen. God bless you guys, have a great day.